This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demrest, and today I got a very special guest with me. I got Patrick McHugh from Bimmer Rescue in Richmond, Virginia, and talking all kinds of things. We are down here at the STX show in Orlando. Patrick took a class with me this morning and just wanted to pick his brain about a lot of things. You know, Patrick has what I feel like is a really unique way of looking at his business and a very analytical way that he goes about it. So I want to discuss that, a couple other things that he's got going on as well. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from one of our partners, Shopware. Sure, you know your customers love you because they keep coming back, but you should probably capture that testimonial in writing with the five-star rating prompted by Broadly in the Shopware app. Learn more at GetShopware.com. Awesome, Patrick. Thanks for having, uh, thanks for coming on here. Really excited. Um, you know, Patrick and I discussed a lot of financials. He's a client of ours. And I love to pick Patrick's brain because a lot of shop owners, you know, don't like to look at their numbers. But Patrick, you seem to have thrived and you think you seem to have really become very interested in numbers and very deliberate about how you operate your business. So, yeah, I just want to kind of hear your philosophy. You know, I've seen your spreadsheets, you know, very impressed by your spreadsheets. And how did you start out? Like when you first started this business, were you always into the numbers, always planning on this? Or is this something just kind of evolved? Thanks, Hunt. Thanks for having me on the show. This is really cool. Uh, a beautiful sunny day here in Orlando, Florida. How did I start out? Uh, great question. So I, I start out like a lot of people in our industry with a ton of passion, a ton of excitement, and a huge desire to help people, a huge desire to fix cars, right? I didn't have any money, didn't have a clue. But I, I had those things, and, and people were drawn to that. My clients were drawn to that, and a lot of them still come to my shop to this day. Uh, I didn't know numbers at all. I knew fix the car, put the parts in the car, charge something, and I always felt really emotionally like drawn to discounting and all, all the same kind of stumbling blocks. It's like Groundhog Day with us shop owners, I think. Yeah. And I, I got a coach. I uh, came to the first STX, I think, in 2012 or 2013, maybe even before that. I met Cecil with the Institute of uh, Automotive Excellence, yep. and, uh, and Cecil is huge on the numbers, and to the point almost of frustration uh, in, in the beginning, but what he did was he, he showed me the habits of a good business owner, right? He said, you do these things, you do them every month, and he developed those habits in me of, of focusing on the numbers, learning to read them. I mean, the numbers are like a dashboard in your car. You've got your speedometer, which is your instant speed, your fuel tank, your uh, temperature, um, the warning lights. Uh, those are your basic, your leading KPIs, that, the things that if you walk into any shop, if you show me those numbers, I can pretty easily tell a lot of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and then there's your, your lagging stuff, your performance measuring tools and your diagnostic numbers. That's like your scan tool you plug in so you can read codes and find out the oxygen sensor isn't reading quite right. And those numbers are so important to be able to, to tune your shop and to find um, problems that aren't maybe super clear on the surface that might not make like just not major ones. Right. Because yeah. a lot of people, I feel like that their reaction comes from, I have no money in my bank account. Right. I can't right. meet payroll. I am broke. Why? <laughs> yeah. And, and like you said, I think that's a really cool idea that a lot of people don't get is that everyone thinks that financials are always reactionary. All mm -hmm. right. Month is over. How did things go? Yep. Right. But it's too late at that point, it's right? You just lost 30 days. I mean, there's, you know, warning signs even months before this of like, hey, a lot of people get to a point where they're like, I'm broke. It's like, you were going broke six months ago, right? You were slowly burning through cash, yep. but because you had the reserves, you didn't panic about it. Yep. But now you're panicking. And now again, just like, you know, it takes a couple months for this to get bad. It takes a couple months to build that back up. That's right. You yeah. know, I interviewed a guy a long time ago and I remember asking him, uh, on a PNL, what are the mo top five most important things? And this was a high-level uh, leader, and he told me basically, screw a PNL. By that time, uh, it's a month late, and we've even we've forgotten even what happened, and there's yeah. nothing we can do about it. He says, I focus on the leading numbers, the things that that have to happen that I can fix now, today, right here, right now, and um, you know, car count, right? Yeah. 
uh, you can't screw up any other KPI in your shop unless you have the cars to screw it up on or mm-hmm. uh, hopefully to fix it on. Yeah. Um, but car count is king to me. You have to have the cars in the door. You can't start tuning or fixing anything unless the cars have shown up to do so with. No, and that's exactly right because you know you and I were going down through and analyzing the numbers and working through and making sure that you know our goals were in line with what's going on and we are obviously using the profit and loss to do that, but the profit and loss was giving us tools to kind of I wouldn't say, you know, in uh, react to what was going on in the past, but kind of just to make sure we had the expectation set and make sure that it was, you know, made sense. But then what that allowed us to do is to kind of set a couple goals. And what we talked about as we went down through this is, hey, when it turns out, this all just comes down to car count there, right? right? Because, you know, you're doing the right thing. The profitability was there. We know what the fixed expense are. We said, hey, you know what? Everything else is in line here. If you get this number of cars, you're good, yep. right? And now you have one thing that you have to look for. You have one thing that you have to inspect on a daily basis. And you and I were just talking about this this morning. You're like, hey, at eight cars, it works. We're doing exactly right. At nine cars, we're a little bit ahead. Seven cars, we're behind. Yep. You know, because a lot of people think at this, and I think that they look at the numbers and they get completely overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? Analysis because, paralysis. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I tell people this. I'm like, you're looking at it in too fine of details. Like numbers need to be taken from a macro point of view and also just like any sort of you know betterment. Mm. If you try to focus on five things, nothing's going to improve, right? And so if you have multiple issues with your shop, focus on the thing that's making the biz- biggest effect right now and then start moving down the road. That's right. It's like you're... Uh, your bus is going down the road and you're, you're hurtling down the road at 55 miles an hour in the bus and uh, the right front tire has gone flat mm-hmm. and it's going bump, 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 bump. You wouldn't be over there adjusting the mirror and checking the <laughs> air conditioning for the people. In the, no, you need to stop the bus. We need to put a new tire on it. We need to keep going down the road safely, right? And um, that's huge. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love the numbers. I'm a nerd for it, but you do not have to be to mm-hmm. be a successful business no. owner. I've got a, a friend um, in one of my coaching groups that he, he's not a numbers guy. He's a passion guy and an energy guy, right? And he, that man knows how to drive cars through the shop like you wouldn't believe and, and pump profit as well. And, um, and he just focused on getting the cars in, car count, how many cars a day? We need 20, 30, whatever it might be. And what are we selling on them? We got to sell on them, you know? So my big focus is car count right now all the time. That's like my king. The king KPI is always car count. But you do have to have some other things right, right? Uh, my business is fairly stable in ARO, the amount of money we sell on each car, around 1300 or so. We're a German Euro shop. Uh, if you're a general repair, I'd say half that would yep. be just about right. Six, 700 bucks, I'm thumbs up in uh, your, your KPI. The sale rate of a ticket that you present, how much of it do you sell? In our Euro shop, uh, 2,500 to 3,000. Although it's gone up a little bit as inflation has pushed our labor rates and our, our parts matrices, uh, maybe, maybe 26, 2,700, um, to 3,200 per car. General shop, half it, in my opinion. Um, opportunity per car is a humongous turning point for me. I, uh, last year in the beginning of the year, we were having like a retention problem with, with clients. We were blowing people out the door with these yeah, huge uh, estimates. I was I was going to talk to you about this one because you know this is probably not something that a lot of people see. We see it a ton in the Euro market, big time, right? Big time. Because there's you know if you have a 15 year old Honda, it's like man, throw some pads on that, let that thing rip. Yeah, you know. But you and I, you know, we're both BMW guys here, and so half the time we talk about numbers, half the time we're talking about BMWs. But, you know, we always laugh about this. You got clients out there that have a $15,000 7 Series that was $130,000 new, right? If you look at it wrong, you have a (laughs) $6,000 repair bill. And it's very, you know, and I see this a lot, and you and I were talking about this. How do you not total these cars, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that that was one of your struggles where you were like, you know what? We're slapping people in the face, and they're like overblown by it. And it's like there's some sweet spot where it's like, all right, this quote is effective. We're going to sell this. We're going to be able to drive this. And if you start, you know, kind of telling them too much on that, yeah. then they're just going to shut down. They're going to move away. Now, I want you to kind of explain your philosophy on this because it's the exact opposite of what is taught a lot for a general repair shop. Hey, you got to tell them everything that's right and it's their choice to fix this. Mm. But for you guys, how are you guys doing that? Were you guys putting yourselves in their shoes? Were you kind of trying to get the backstory on what they're trying to do with this? Yeah. How did you guys kind of write that ship? Because I know we had that issue for a little bit there. Well, uh, that's an awesome question. And it's part of the culture of our shop. We believe 
believe in transparency and I will not stray from that. And if I see people in my shop straying from that, we're having a conversation. We believe in transparency. We believe you have a right to know everything that is going on with your car, but it's our job uh, to give you the best advice possible based on what you've told us, Mm -hmm. based on what you want from the car and how you drive it, where you go. Um, what do you do with this vehicle? How long do you want it to last? We, we need to know that stuff up front. I, I think in my shop, one of the biggest focuses is um, is looking at the car. And we were writing up every service possible, every single possible thing that could be done on that car, every car, every time, no matter what. And it was doing everybody what, what a was, disservice. What was your biggest quote that you ever put out there? Oh my gosh, we, we've we've put out twenty thirty thousand dollar quotes on really old seven a, series many yeah. times. Yeah. A four thousand dollar seven series, exactly. you know, a two thousand dollar E thirty four, something like that. It's like, well, no, literally every bushing needs replaced, and yeah. every single thing is leaking fluid, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we're not going to hold back. We're not going to like. Not going to lie to you and be like, hey, nothing's yeah. going on here. But you know, are, are you given like a grading system of being like, hey? This is leaking, but it's not a safety issue or... Yes. So like, uh, l- let's just paint like a couple examples. So a 60,000 mile BMW 330 comes in the shop. Beautiful car, super well taken care of. Uh, that car is going to get whatever the initial complaint is, is always first. That has to be addressed first. No matter what anything else is going on, I don't care if there's safety issues, we always address the initial complaint of the client first. Um, followed by uh, red, yellow, green. So red being things that are safety issues, things that if left alone will will harm the reliability of the car. Um, it could put somebody in a safety issue. And then service and maintenance and cosmetics. So we were writing up just just like a bajillion things on some of these cars, but that car is going to have probably a $2,500 opportunity and we're going to do um, you know, $1,250 or $1,300 on it. And it's a great day for everybody. We're, we're fixing the initial complaint, maybe one or two other things and leaving something for next time, which the client likes. I like and the car likes. Everybody likes that, right? Um, nobody wants to have their car totaled. Nobody wants to total a car uh, for a client. Now, let's flip the script a little bit. If, if we get a 2003 745 Li in E65 and it's smoking out the exhaust and everything is... We're still going to tell the person about the problems. We're still going to photograph everything we see in the report, but we're going to focus more on like the initial complaints and then safety. Like, by the way, the yeah. valve seals are all gone. We're going to talk. We will. Yeah. We that that's going to be in the report. I, mm-hmm. It's against my culture to not mention that the valve seals are smoking and that the there's a mushroom cloud coming out the back <laughs> of the car. But if the client is interested in going that direction, and they are, it turns out they're passionate about this car and this was maybe their dad's car and it's an important thing and it doesn't matter what it costs they they want it to be perfect we can do that right but i I don't want to apply that thinking to every single person it all matters what the client's telling us they want from that vehicle that's a really cool idea so a question on that one and a follow-up question on this because like this is stuff that i hear a lot you know Mm -hmm. i deal with only shop owners and I can usually tell them an answer, but it's not because of me. I learned this from people like you, right? I'm like, hey, that's a really good idea. I'm like, I can't take credit for it. One of my clients (laughs) told me this stuff, right? So the thing on that is two things. So let's say we have that old E36 that comes in there that theoretically could have $7,000 worth of work on it. We're going to quote it at $2,000. That $5,000 that's like, you know what? The rear diff is kind of leaking, but it's just the seat, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, there's a little bit of play here, but it's really not a big issue. You know, whatever it is, you know, a shifter bushing or something like that, where it's, hey, Hey, you know what? It's still going to shift fine. It's not going to be as crisp as it should mm-hmm. be. Are you even putting that onto an estimate when you send it to a customer? When you call them, are you, you know, you're obviously mentioning all this stuff. Yeah. But on some of those, you know, green stuff that is, you know, truly cosmetic, are you even putting a price on that? Or are you waiting to see what their intentions are before you even put that on there? The client has a right to know everything about their car. It's a difficult question. Let me paint a picture to how things work in our shop. Our technicians are, by nature, their job is to tell us everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us an unbiased view of this car. We don't tell the technician, oh, hey, this is a single mom and she's broke and she's <laughs> this and that. Or, oh, yeah, this guy says that he's, this car is the going to be like his project car forever. Or this, We don't tell them that. We just want a, an unbiased opinion of the vehicle. But, yeah, like if you get an E36 in and it's like a, a disasters Ville USA car and it's got things hanging off it, our estimator is going to focus on the initial stuff. And he's not going to be putting 
diff fluid cabin filter, this and that and everything in there. Now, if the 60,000 mile car comes in and we run it through the shop and it's clean as a whistle and it came in for an oil change and check engine light and needs a oxygen sensor and that's it. He's going to look in the service guide and, and make sure that we're recommending the um, cabin filters and the differential fluid, transmission fluid, you know, some of those lifetime fluids, quote unquote, that we all know how that, that story ends after. Wait, you know. are you trying to tell me that the lifetime fluid is not actually true <laughs> and that 15,000 miles might actually be too long for oil change? Intervals? I am trying to tell you that. <laughs> yes, it depends. So again, I'll argue this all day. It depends on yeah. what the client wants from the car, right? Mm-hmm. If if they're traded it in in two weeks, then then we're gonna, we're not going to change the oil or the diff or yeah. this and that. But if they tell us based on their plan for the car, it might make sense to do to drop every fluid in the whole car. Or they're saying, "Hey, I want to go to a track day and do this stuff like that." It's like, yeah, if you're going exactly. to a track day, everything rubber needs to get replaced, including all cooling systems, anything yep. plastic. You and know? that right there is a difference in in our model. We are a relationship consultative sales company, and it starts with questions. It starts with those things I said, you know, how long are you going to drive it? What do you do with it? That all matters so much to us versus the transactional model, which is your car needs eight grand. You want to do it or not. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing too, that a lot of people forget is, you know, you're a trusted advisor, right? People, a lot of think of trust as advisors, you know, accountants, lawyers, stuff like that. You know, you're a trusted advisor to these people because it's like, you know what? put yourself in my shoes, what would you do? Right. Because the average consumer doesn't know the difference between a crankshaft and a tie rod, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're speaking a completely different language. All they're seeing is dollars and stuff like that. Yep. You know, and I think that what is lost a lot is just like you said, Hey, Miss Smith, is this you? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. It's ready. You know, it's going to be eight grand. You want us to fix it? Eh, that sounds like a lot of money. All right. Well, come pick it up. We're done here. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, Hey, we're all humans here. You yeah. know, no one likes to spend money on the car. And a lot of people are not trying to be cheap. You know, mm-hmm. they either don't have the money or they don't understand the importance of this stuff. Yep. And so I think it's really important to like bring that human element or keep that human element in there of being like, Hey, you yeah. know, what are you trying to do with this? Yep. You know, does this match up? Hey, if you're trying to drive this thing for six more months, let's do this, this and this and trade it and it'll be perfectly fine for you. Yeah. We all have bad days. Where we just turn to someone and ask, how the heck do I fix this? When that happens to you on the business side, which may not be your strong suit, you want someone quick and you want them to be clear. That's exactly what Dan Groen from Detroit Garage found when he peppered the folks at Shopware with questions about how to make the most of its shop management system. As he puts it, they continually solve the curveballs that we throw at them. With seven shops, Dan jokes that he is a demanding client, but that is a sign of a guy committed to his business. Even better, the Shopware support team met every challenge with In Dan's words, impressive capabilities and vigor. No complaints, no hassles, just a commitment to help Dan through his day. As Dan says, we make each other stronger. Now that's a partnership that works. It is time. Visit GetShopware.com. And it's it's the secret sauce. The secret (laughs) sauce of independent shops is people are just looking for that guy where they can go to and they tell them what they really need to do with their car. And then the secret is that that guy has asked them and knows that that is the only car they ever want to drive and they're not comfortable buying a new car and they want to keep it for another 10 years. Knowing those things about your client is, is our secret sauce in this whole industry, if you ask me. And, yeah. and anybody who's trying to, trying to, um, you know, ram repairs down somebody's throat without knowing the story and walking in that client's shoes for a minute is doing our whole industry a disservice. Uh, I'm really passionate about that stuff, and I, I think a lot of people need to start thinking that way if, if our independent world is going to continue to flourish, which it will. Yeah, and I think the big thing there, too, is that if you could kind of misconstrue what Patrick just said there of, you know, having compassion doesn't mean that we're not making profit here, right? No. We're not discounting this work. We're not saying, you know what, we're going to have a 20% gross profit margin on this. This is being selective of what's getting sold here. Yep. All that work is still getting sold at a profitable level. And, you know, he said before, your ARO is over $1,300. So it's not like we're giving this stuff away for free. You know, there's a way that you can do the right thing, you know, help out yeah. and still make money at the same time. That's totally right. You know, and, and one of the things that I say, I, I, I steal your word is, you know, one of your big things is profit is not a four letter word, mm-hmm. right? You know, a lot of people feel like that they have a yes or no choice on, do I want to help people or do I want to make money? Mm-hmm. Because they feel like there's only two extremes. You can either do this for $50 an hour labor rate, 
or you can be the guy that's shoving that $8,000 estimate down your no. throat. But really, you can do this in a profitable way. And I love your philosophy on the way that you talk about profit, right? Mm-hmm. Profit yep. is not just a selfish thing where Patrick's making all this money. You know, I'll let you explain it, but you know, just kind of go over your philosophy on why profit is important and what it really does to your business. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I- uh, I, I'm really passionate about this too. And if I had a table to stand on uh, <laughs> and stomp my feet, I would be doing it right now. Um, and I, I'm, I'm speaking to you right now on a, on a podcast that could be transmitted to my clients, to, to my family, to my friends, to everybody. And I'm comfortable saying that profit is not an option in a business. Profit yeah. is something that business has to have. And it took me years to get over, um, uh, feeling guilty about making good money on fixing cars. And, and what I think the important thing to realize is what you do with that profit and what that is doing for your clients, for your, the people in your business, for your community, uh, is, is, is really important to me, right? And, um, what I will do with the profit in our shop is make our business better for our clients, better tools, better transparency. Um, the DVI systems that we, a lot of us use nowadays, uh, come at a cost, but they provide a better service for our people. Lifetime warranty, something we're going to start doing in our shop. Oh, cool. Lifetime warranty. That means if you come into my shop and you have to have the timing chain done on your Audi and yeah, it sucks because it costs 3,800 bucks or whatever it might cost, you never have to do it again yeah. as long as you own the car and as long as you come to me. Um, that's really an incredible thing. But you can't do a lifetime warranty if you're not making money on the front that's right. end of thing, right? right? You know, it's like, hey, I can't afford to do that twice because I barely made money on the first go around on that. Exactly. So when a shop owner is in a corner and is wondering how they're going to pay their bills next month, they're wondering how the shop owner can't make good decisions for their clients. It's that simple. Uh, people get pushed into weird places when they aren't comfortable themselves, when they don't have what they need to run a good business when, when, you know, the bills are coming in faster than, uh, the, than they're going out. Um, that's huge. Uh, let's think about paying our technicians correctly. I have a firm belief in paying, paying my people as fairly as possible and paying them so they can do what they need to do in their life and not have to work Saturdays and being able to work eight to five is something I'm really passionate about because I want my people to be able to have a good family life and a good work life balance as well and still make the money they need to feel good. Um, yeah. It's something really important to me doing things for my community. I would like to create a training facility for young techs to come in and learn our trade and learn that you can make a good living in our town of Richmond without having to go to college if you don't want to. If that's not your thing, if you don't learn that way, you can come to our shop and and, and learn everything you need to know as long as you're hardworking, as long as you're willing to learn, and as long as you don't give up, anybody can can do it. And I, I want to create that facility and that, that takes money. I got to build that thing. Right. So I think it's what you do with the profit and, and stability. We, we need to be here to serve these clients. And if, if my shop, uh, goes away, I won't be able to serve anybody. Right. And having profit in the bank. And if there's one thing COVID taught me, it's that because that wasn't fun for any shop. No. And I, I questioned a lot of things uh, when that all, all went down, having more businesses die in this country, not due to lack of sales uh, or lack of process and procedure, but lack of cash flow, right? Cash. Uh, a big wave comes and they can't endure it, right? And, and I, want a, I want a business that my employees can work in every day and know that the business is financially stable and know that we're going in the correct direction and know we have reserves and a cushion account and a cushion account on top of that cushion account. So if something crazy happens, and you, it could be anything, that they're going to be able to get paid, be able to pay their bills. I've got kids. I have three kids. Ainsley's seven. Ireland's four and a half. Lawton is two and a half. And I've, I've got to provide for them, right? And that's a burden I carry on my shoulders. But as an owner, we are also responsible for the other kids in our shop. Um, one of my employees has a newborn. Uh, one of them has three kids. One of them has two kids. One of them has three grown kids. There, there are children that are the counting on me mm-hmm. to run a good business, to run a profitable business so that their parents can pay their bills. That is a burden that every owner carries and it, it comes at a price. And I always have to remember that the profit I make goes to making sure that those families have what they need and, and that our business can push on through bumps in the road. Profit always sounded like a dirty word to me, but 
It's what you do with that profit that makes the difference, I think. Yeah, you're exactly right on that one, too. And, and you make a really cool idea of like these people are counting on you. You know, and I make this comparison to people a lot of times is there's some people that love to be self-employed, right? I would never want to work for someone else. No one's going to tell me what to do. I want to do it my way. But there's a lot of people, you know, that and some of these people have owned shops before. And I said, you know what? I'd rather just show up, get a paycheck because that's a lot more secure, It is, yep. you know, and there's a lot less stress on it. And I, sometimes I tell people like, Hey, either make a change, make some money or go work in, as a technician. You can make twice as much money and alleviate all that stress. Yep. But the funny thing is you just mentioned there of, you know what, these people are counting on you. So they don't think that they're doing anything risky. They're like, you know what? I'm a technician at Patrick's shop. I'm getting a paycheck. And unless I do something and I'm a bad employee and I get fired, this paycheck is always going to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. But what they don't see is what small businesses go through. Like we were talking about with COVID. Yep. Hey, it gets really tight. You know, it gets really scary. You're not sure what's going to happen next. Yep. And they don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. And it's almost you need you owe that to them. All this stuff like what would our businesses, either of our businesses be without our people? We would, wouldn't have a business. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't we owe it to them to make sure that we're financially savvy, that we're financially yes. sound, that we can have something where they can rely on? Absolutely. I brought one of my guys behind my desk one day. We were talking about a lot of this and we should did an exercise in my shop. Remember that? I don't know if mm-hmm. you helped me with that. The $100 exercise yep. where I broke down my entire P&L, do a $100 bill, and then I split it up into little baggies. And I put the, the, the dollar amounts to the, to the cent of, of how that would have all broken down. And I brought one of my guys behind my desk who was always kind of skeptical about what was going on behind the curtain. And I laid him before him my P&L. And I did this exercise. I explained that when I collect $100, you know, this it's not all goes, just going yeah, into my pocket. This right? much goes to pay you. Mm-hmm. This much goes to pay the parts. All right, there goes 50 whatever percent of it. And then, okay, here's the rent. And we had this little pie chart and it just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I picked up this little baggie and I was like, here's the this is Patrick. Fifteen dollars in here. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. We forgot about somebody. Uncle Sam comes in. That's yeah. right. Okay, well, there goes that. And I showed him, showed him my, uh, my spreadsheets and stuff and, and how much work I'd poured into those spreadsheets with my, my goals and the, the red, yellow, green and, and everything. And, and he was like, holy smokes, this is your job, isn't it? I'm like, yes, this is now my it's job. like, it's finally kind of clicked. It was like, Hey, you know what? Patrick's not sitting back there. Cause no. I think the perception is obviously everyone says this, you know, Hey, I'm selling this labor for $150 an hour. I make $40 an hour flat rate. $110 going to Patrick's pocket. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you can explain to him until your face turns blue. Well, there's other expenses. I got to keep the lights on. Still in the back of their head until you've lived it, until yep. you've seen it, you don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. And then when you work down to that level, you'd be like, okay, wow, this is a lot more than what I expect. And I think even more, more of that is like what you talked about, showing them the spreadsheet. Yep. It's being like, hey, do you know when I come out and I'm kind of busting your guys' balls and being like, hey, we need that other car. We need to get the ARO up. This is not me being greedy. This is me diagnosing my business, right? right? Just like how you have that car and you're going down through looking at signs, you know, taking readings on it. I'm doing the same thing for this business. I'm not just doing this to, you know, put more money in my pocket. I'm doing this to make sure that we're healthy and make sure that we're optimized here. The check engine light is on and it's flashing mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm coming back and I've plugged my scanner in and I've discovered that it's a coil mm-hmm. and I'm asking you to switch the two coils to see if the problem moves. And that's what we're doing right now in the business. That is my one of my jobs, right? I uh, somebody just asked me today what about my roles and responsibility. What what what's your job as an owner? And it's pretty clear. Uh, I am the visionary of the company. Where the, the where the direction of the ship goes, I I am to set the heading. That's that's my job. But also financials. This stuff is my part of my job every day. Managing debt, leveraging credit, and making big financial decisions. Changing the direction of the company. Are we going to work on EVs or not? We are. That's my, that's my call. And that's part of the owner's duties. But the financial burden of all this stuff is something that I carry on my shoulders as well. We all do as owners. Yeah. And it's, it's a heavy weight to bear. I remember that day talking my tech like that. I could see him changing his view of what, like my, what I did back. I think he thought I just watch YouTube videos all day, which I do watch YouTube videos sometimes <laughs> when I watch Carm's podcast. Yeah. Anyways, I think he realized what I carry in building our shop, right? There's hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment in there. There was a, a year I didn't get paid at all in the beginning. There are many sacrifices I've had to make as an owner to make sure everybody got paid during, during COVID, during times where there wasn't car count, the one thing we needed. That's a, that's a pretty heavy burden to bear 
after that, he kind of left me alone on that stuff. And, and I think he's, he's, he's glad that's, that's not something he has to carry around. And from then on, the, the man pretty much asked me, how can I help? Uh, mm-hmm. What can I do? What can we do to get more cars in the door, Patrick? Sounds like that's a pretty important thing. And, and I've heard, heard a lot of that. So it's been a really cool uh, journey with, with all that stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, culture is so important in a business, right? It doesn't matter how much money you make. If everyone's showing up to work and they're miserable, it's going to be a miserable place for them to work. It's going to be a miserable place for you to own, you know? Right. And so it's so important and so refreshing to see someone that's like, you know what? Culture is not at the expense of profit, right? You can do this right. You can do this effectively. So Patrick, we were talking before, you know, you're a numbers guy. I like the way that you look at stuff. It's not the standard. All right. We just got aero. We got car count. You know, you got a lot of different things that you are kind of all a mixture of this stuff. But what do you think is like one of the most important numbers? One of the big things that you look at that a lot of other people don't look at. So one of my favorite KPIs that I kind of coined a phrase for is called push rate and my trademark. Well, yeah, trademark. (laughs) 2021. My guys, I, I heard this term in the shop one day. Uh, a car came in for something. It was run. It wasn't start. Needed a starter, and the guy didn't buy it. And the guys were like, "It's a push. It's a push. Push it out." And what that means to me is a car that came to our shop. Got, uh, let me back up. A customer had a client had a problem somewhere. They found us through my marketing that I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of in the past year or two getting out there. They converted on my marketing. They placed a phone call to our shop. We converted them into a client, a paying client. We sold them a um, diagnostic procedure to find out why the car wouldn't start. They towed the car all the way to our shop. They dropped it off. We formed a relationship. We exchanged the keys. We dispatched the car. We got it in the back. We found out it needed a starter. We called the client and we did not sell the starter. And then the car is now back outside with a tow truck inbound to pick it up and it's going home, right? That to me is the biggest, uh, biggest failure you could possibly have in a shop. There's no way to see Patrick's blood pressure elevate more than seeing pushes, uh, unfixed cars. Because this is, this is not a push as in like, Hey, it came for this. We tried to get everything else. They declined. This is literally you came in. They had a problem. This is how we fix it. And yep. for whatever reason, yeah. it just didn't happen. I classify a push in my shop as uh, any initial complaint that didn't didn't get sold, or any additional findings that didn't sell that are that are safety or like major red items. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a BMW comes in for an oil change. It's got eighty two thousand miles. We pull it in, and the uh, the tires have cords showing on them. And then they, something happens, and the car leaves with tires with cords showing on them. Or a car that comes in and the valve cover gasket's gushing so much onto the exhaust that it's smoking and it could create a fire. And then we uh, do say whatever we say and the car leaves with a ga- valve cover gasket gushing and a potential fire. Those are pushes in my shop. And, um, and we have a process uh, for managing uh, that, that stuff. So if an advisor um, starts to make or makes a sale and uses their tools, which they better use other tools. I want to make sure financing was discussed. I want to make sure that alternate transportation was offered and, and, and all those things, right? All of our quiver of arrows that we have to, to solve problems for clients. Uh, if that doesn't happen, if, if they do all their things and the car is still not being fixed, we have a turnover process. So the manager, the, the, the advisor will hang up the phone immediately go to the manager, explain the scenario, and the manager will come on the phone and try make sure that everything was done right. Make sure we did our job as a shop, right? And uh, we've found sometimes the manager get involved, find out uh, and say, hey, did, just want to make sure we did our job right here. Were you offered financing? Were you told about our 12-month 0% interest financing? And the client's like, oh, no. No, I didn't know that it was a thing. How does that work? And then we find out the client uh, wants to fix it, but just... It wasn't a good time, right? And well, what if we stretched out over 12 months? Poof, they're fixing the car. And that prop- process captures that push rate in the shop. I was seeing a lot of push when our opportunity was way too high, when we were, we were finding too much stuff on these cars. And what, you think that people were just shutting down, just be like, you know what, yeah. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm out of here. The thing that I think was going through people's minds is, wow, when I go to Patrick's shop, it's like he tells me I need seven grand every time. And I'm just not going to go to Patrick's shop. Or I'm gonna Ignorance sell this car. is bliss, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, um, and we were just, the term is we were, we were 
killing the sheep rather than shearing the sheep. That's kind of an ugly uh, term for it. But clients don't want to to have their cars totaled. Neither do we, right? And that wasn't helping anybody. That wasn't helping the that wasn't helping the car. That wasn't helping the client. That wasn't helping our shop or our technicians or or anybody um, to to do business that way. Fixing the starter and maybe the two rear tires, not all four, but the two rear ones that were really bad. That's helping the car. It's leaving our shop in a better condition than it was. It's helping helping our shop make money, which is one of our prime directives. Helping our technicians get hours and whatever they need to do. It's helping everybody. So that's a better way. Now, when you have, I mean, obviously some of this push is obviously internal, right? Of like, hey, are we following the proper procedures? And some of this is obviously external, you know, mm-hmm. money is finite, even financing and stuff like that. And so how do you kind of analyze some of these push and say, hey, did we do everything right? And yeah. this is just going to be one of those things? Or, hey, you know what, we messed up on that. Like how, do, what kind of goes down through when you analyze something like that? That's a great question. So I have two criteria for push. 5% is kind of the gold standard. If we're, if we have less than 5% of the cars are pushing, um, that's, that's the gold standard. And the silver is 10%. If it's less than 10%, I'm not barking up any trees or really freaking out about anything. Cause guess what? Like not every car is, should be fixed. Yeah. Right. There are, there are times where it just doesn't fit what the client wants. Right. It, they, they come in the shop and, it's not about can't afford, but maybe this is time, right? It's a, it's an older car. It's got 380,000 miles on it. It's got, it needs $10,000 just to be safe for state inspection. That is an acceptable push in my book, right? Like let's let, it's time to put that thing out to pass. Like, Hey, you know what? It had, it had a good run. <laughs> it's okay. It's done. It doesn't owe anyone anything. Yep. Just put her Thanks, to bed. Buddy. She's, yeah. Have a good life. Maybe your parts can save another car <laughs> from the junkyard or whatever. That's an acceptable push. Not every car needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. but I do believe that 90% of them do. And, and if they're not, if that's not happening, we need to be looking at ourselves in the mirror and making sure that, that we were executing our model. Make sure we were asking the right questions and taking the time to give a client a good consultation on their car, showing them our shop and, and selling who we are to our clients, not just moving too fast and ramming stuff down people's throats. Yeah. And I feel like that that's, you know, a real struggle, especially right now. I mean, most shops are really busy right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the, you know, kind of downsides of being extremely busy is a lot of people say, hey, I can't dedicate the time yeah. that I need. And so then what ends up happening is, you know, a lot of times people are end up selling, you know, their sales might be more, but it's less than it really could be yep. because they're just being like, hey, I need to get this sold. I got to pick up this other line. And another thing, it's not the product that you want to deliver. That's right. Like you mentioned earlier in this, it's like, hey, this is why independent shops, you know, thrive is the cons- customer experience on it. It's yep. when something that the dealerships just can't deliver, yep. you know, but if you start to turn into that turn and burn, everything's quick, quick, quick. Hey, Miss Smith, this is what it is. You want to do it? Yes, no. We got financing. I don't want to do financing, whatever, yeah. forget it. Exactly. You know, it's like, hey, this is not only the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here. You're probably not going to make that much money on it either. No. And and it creates, it's a self-duplicating uh, process when you don't do that right. When you don't follow our model in our shop, when you try to push a transactional model through a relationship business, it becomes a like a spiral of, of doom. Because like suddenly, okay, now you got three pushes in a row on a Monday morning. All right. We needed the eight cars to, to, to do great in our shop. Now we need, we need three more tomorrow, right? And that just compounds everything because now we have too many cars tomorrow because we didn't, we didn't serve the people we needed to serve on Monday. And now we have to move even faster to get to these cars. And now it becomes even more transactional. And then the whole thing just explodes, right? Yeah. And we, we can't do that. We have to be consistent. We have to focus on this stuff. We have to slow down to take the time to, to serve our clients, right? And then the beautiful thing in a Euro shop and also the scary, difficult thing is that we, you helped me reverse engineer that we only need eight cars a day to do awesome, to achieve the business's profit that it needs. To make and talk sure about that, how many technicians you have. You don't have to share all your numbers, but tell me in technicians, because people are like, only eight cars a day. I mean, yeah, what? Still- so we have our, our setup in our shop is that we have five technicians. Yeah. We have an estimator, which is an awesome position to have in a shop. And we have, we, we have anywhere between, depending on the moment, but one to two advisors and then a selling manager that also, um, sells sometimes. That's our setup. Um, one of our technicians is a, is a working foreman that controls the flow through the shop and helps set promise times to make sure that we're making good, uh, we're setting good expectations, uh, for our clients. Um, that's our sort of setup. 
through the shop. But what you helped me do is I, I had a rough fall. We had a big push rate problem. I took my eye off the ball and a lot of numbers because I was uh, distracted with doing acquisition stuff and took my eye off the ball for a while and our push rate soared. It went up to like 36% in like, which means like literally one in three cars that came in wasn't, wasn't buying safety or initial complaints. And it was a rough time. And I had a conversation with you before the year closed. I think it was like December 23rd mm-hmm. or something. And I was like, hunt, I, the, I can't operate like this, right? Like, what do we need to do in our business to, to, to put the profit that we need for me to be comfortable so I don't have a, a panic attack on the bottom line all the time without exception? Understanding that our ARO is okay, our sale rate is right, our opportunity per car is correct, and our push rate is Profit not was what there, it is. Markup right. was there, like, you know, all uh, every other metric looked good, right? Every other so close. I'll, I'll I solved the push rate thing with the mm-hmm. turnover process that we put in place. All right, I fixed that. What do we need to do? And you helped me reverse engineer starting at the end at the net profit the business needed to make. We backed it all the way into how many gross profit dollars that was per day, right? And TechMetric, our, our shop software, Shopware has this as well. Every good shop uh, <laughs> software has uh, GPDs per hour, hour mm-hmm. in their dashboards. Mine was hovering at the time around 130 or so, or it's actually gone up quite a bit lately, but it was hovering around 130 GPDs per hour. And you helped me realize that I can take the GPDs I need and divide it by the GPDs per hour to find out exactly how many hours that is, right? And we broke it down uh, by week. And then ultimately by day, it's hard in a Euro shop to do things by day because a lot of cars end up staying two or three days. Yeah, because you got five technicians. We're averaging eight cars a day. That's exactly, you know, but 1.3. My, yeah, but. but I know that my technicians want 50 hours a week each. Mm-hmm. I know that. And uh, 50 hours a week equals, if you calculate between GPDs and hours, uh, 25,000 GPD per week. Right. And those are our two metrics. And it, that's, it's red, yellow, green. If eight cars come in a day. That's uh, 40 a week. It's green. I'm in the green. Patrick's doing his thing, live, pushing the vision. The company's going this way. Everything's going. We're looking into EVs, whatever we might be doing. And if there's seven cars a day, it's yellow. Well, we better have nine tomorrow because we had seven today. Mm-hmm. If it's six cars a day, uh, there's people are starting to, Patrick's starting to lose his mind and something's going on. But it, it's that simple. And I think that, that's been my journey with numbers. I started off like the spreadsheet that was like 58 KPIs long. And I mm-hmm. think I intimidated people in my business with it. They were like, oh, I got to learn this. I don't even know where to start. And what it all boils down to is eight cars a day. Yeah. You show me that. And that's a lot easier for, for a service manager to do in your shop. Just give me eight cars a day and we'll kind of keep an eye on the other things. You know, I only talked about one, two, three, four, five, six KPIs here today. Um, the most important being car count. Yeah, and that's like what a lot of people don't get is is you look at it and people have this profitability issue. This is going on and they think the world is falling and the entire business is broken. Mm-hmm. But if you really comes down to it, most people, especially the people that we're dealing with, we're interacting, are doing most of the things right. There's something that is off, you yeah. know. And I'd say probably the, now less and less now is car count, right? Most people are mm-hmm. super, super busy right now. But I would say car count, productivity are the two big things. Sure. The reason why those are big is you can be doing everything else right. If you don't have the car count, your business is going to be crap. Yep. I don't care what your GP is. I don't care what your markup. Yep. I don't care how your low overhead is. You don't have the cars, you're not going to make any money. Yep. Same thing as productivity, right? It's another thing where it's like, hey, you know what? You could be having a great parts matrix. You could have a great labor rate. Your overhead could be in line. If you've got technicians that are at 50% productivity, yep. it's always going to be a struggle. It's always going to suck because you're yeah. never going to get anything done. It's always, and that creates another tornado in your office. You got advisors on the phone that um, a client calls, Hey, uh, my car broke. Can I bring it in today? Uh, I don't know. Let me, I, maybe tomorrow or the next, cause they don't have confidence that the back can, can yeah. get it done. They already are starting to undersell. They're like, you know what? I could probably sell this, but Jimmy's back there already drowning. If Mm -hmm. I throw more work onto that car, I'm then going to have to be the one to call back and say, you know what? It's not ready again. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's usually only a, maybe one or two big things are, are wrong. And then a few little tuning things once we fix those big things. Once you fix those big things. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the big point there. You know, we talked about this before we went live is a lot of people look at this and they're like, I'm gonna try to fix this. I'm gonna try to fix this. I'm gonna try to fix this all at once. (laughs) No, Pick one, right? 
yeah. know, because if you try to do three things, zero things get done. You try to do one thing and you really focus on it. If it doesn't get done, you're only yourself is to blame. Yeah. Right. And I also think that a lot of people are overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're trying to fix all these different things, of course, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming yep. from you. It's overwhelming for your team because they're like, all right, well, you want me to drive car count? Do you want me to drive air road? Do you want me to drive my parts margin? Like, what do you want me to focus on? That's right. It's like, you know, focus on this. And also a lot of things too is, you know, you have a whole spreadsheet, which you've learned over the years to analyze it and what to be panicked about, what is going to go up and down. And sometimes it's like, you know what? You're the translator, right? You're using all of that. You're looking at all the vital signs of the business and saying, you know what? I'm going to put this into layman's terms. Guys, this is what I want you to focus on because this is what you can actually control. That's right. And a lot of times guys are looking, uh, everybody's looking for easy answers to some of those big problems. Very often there isn't, right? And people come to these conferences looking for like, what's my magic bullet to this and that and everything? And it's really a bigger picture than that. And my, my biggest advice to anybody who's like, all right, great. How do I solve productivity or how do I solve, you know, ARO or whatever? I always start at the counter. I always start in the in in the office, and then we work back towards productivity. But get coaching. Get yourself with a coaching group. Patrick can sit here all day and give you advice uh, at at lunch after knowing you for fifteen minutes on what you should do. But that's something I call drive by advice, mm-hmm. right? I have no idea what's going on. That's dangerous advice, right? It really is. You could ask me. You know what? My text. My texts are all doing fifty percent productivity, and they just not they. They can't crank hours, this and that. I think I'm going to fire all my techs in my shop. You think that's a good idea, Patrick? And Sure. My, sure, it. right? Just give them my business card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the, the true answer is there's a, there's a lot to unpack here, right? Mm. The, the true answer is nobody can give you, if you get anybody giving you advice like that, uh, it's unfair and it's dangerous and get some, and get somebody killed or somebody's head blown off, right? And that's not fair to the employees in our, in our businesses. That whole problem needs to be unpacked. You need to find a coach. There's some awesome coaching groups here. Uh, I'm, I'm part of Transformers Institute, um, who has, who's changed my shop, changed my career, changed me and helped me look in the mirror on a lot of things in my life. Um, get yourself a coach. Doesn't matter who it is. Pick one and run with it. And the things that they tell you to do, do them. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that will take you where you need to go. The reason I say start at the counter, I think a lot of problems in the shop start at the counter and start with sales problems. If you look at the job roles and responsibilities of a service advisor, it's pretty crazy. It's like a it's long It's very list. broad, right? It's like maintain margins, make sales, uh, connect, make connections with clients. Still be personable, but still try and sell as much as you can. Sell everything you can, but also be cool and they have to like you when you're <laughs> done with it. And then this and that and quality control, blah, 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 blah. Make sure everything and, and everything else is like my favorite thing to have at the end of a service. There's a lot going on. Project manager is one of the biggest things. Uh, it's a really stressful job. There's a lot of stuff going on. Technicians, they're, they have a lot of things too, but it's mostly diagnose the vehicle, figure out what's wrong with it, recommend repairs, with, involve some communication, uh, and then perform the repairs in the car, and then quality control check the car. There, there's like a few things, right? Yeah. And it, that seems great. And they don't have to deal with their customers, which is a very big positive. Yeah, well, that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> because when they're in the back, they have a very simple roles and responsibilities the biggest thing is is they're in the back they have to trust what's going on on the other side of the door and man that can be scary can you imagine like your entire destiny whether you're going to be able to have enough work or not it relies on what's going on up in that crazy counter up there and that's got to be a lot that that's got to be anxiety i don't know how those guys deal with that sometimes i've never worked as a professional tech like on that level but Man, that takes a lot of patience and a lot of like trust, right? And I think that we should always start on the counter. That's where a lot of those issues start. And I think most techs, I, I've never met a tech that was like, I don't want to produce a lot of work. I just want to be like kind of half speed and like just kind of go along. I'm sure there's somebody out there, but those guys want to do good. They want to do good for you and for themselves. And they, they want to produce results. And I, I think a lot of those issues do begin in the counter and sales training, service advisor training, management training is crucial to getting that stuff right. No, you're exactly right. Cause a lot of people, you know, you look at what's the pinch point of my business. Like one of the things that you mentioned before is like, you know, you're talking about productivity. Oh, my techs are not productive. I'm a fire all the technicians. <laughs> but then when you look at this, you figure out, yeah, that is a, you know, 
symptom of the problem. That's not the cause of the problem, right? You're like, your shop is set up terribly. You have the oldest equipment, right? The lift takes this long to go up. It breaks half the time. When they try to use a time machine, all this, you're like, the technicians are doing great for what they have at their disposal. Or the same thing. Hey, my technicians aren't productive. Your service advisor isn't selling crap, right? (laughs) You know, it's like you aren't even giving them a fair shake at trying to do this kind of stuff. You know, and so it's, it's one of these things, like you said, of, you know, working with a coach, being able to get down to your business. Cause at the surface, every business is the same. We're selling parts and labor, right? But anyone that says, Hey, every business is the same is kind of paraphrasing. Yes. Everyone is a little bit different. Everyone works a little bit different. Even if it's the same, even if you have a Euro shop in Richmond, you're going to run your business completely different from the guy that's three miles away from you. That's Not right. necessarily right or wrong, but you got different people. You got different layout. You got different customers. And ultimately, you might have different philosophies too. That's and right. getting someone that understands that and can work with you and can guide you on that is really what I've seen a lot of people just really completely change their business and change oh, yeah. their life. Absolutely. And that's what I like the most about my coaching group, Transformers, is that they, they're not a one model group. They don't come in and say, this is how you have to run your shop. Everybody, they understand that we're in different regions around the country. Certain New York City is a lot different place to run a shop than Denver, Colorado or Richmond, Virginia. And they understand that. Um, but they do focus on on the main things that I've been talking about all day here, relationship, business, consultative sales, that stuff is, that doesn't matter. That's the same around the country. Uh, there, there's going to be nuances in how you, how you do that stuff. Um, so yeah, get coaching. It's that simple. Get with a group. It, it doesn't matter who it is and, and, and run with it and, and listen to them. When they say, that's a, that's a big one there, right? <laughs> another you key. paid all this money. Uh, you don't know how many times it's like, Oh man, I can't believe they told me to do that. It's like, well, if you're not going to listen, stop paying the money. Just None of these guys are that. cheap, right? You know, so it's like you're paying just to argue with these people and why that would never work. Like, it's just funny because it's like, why did you join them in the first place? Because you wanted to fix something. Exactly. Now, like, figure it out. Do you want to change? Do you not want to change here? When they when you come into the group and they discover that your opportunity per car in a Euro shop is only 600 or 700 and you're only selling 350 and they recommend putting in place a digital vehicle inspection process so that we can find more relevant work, the real work that needs to be done, do that thing yeah. and, and, and see how it goes. And then you can measure it from there. Exactly right. Cool. Well, this has been incredible, Patrick. Actually, Patrick and I's first time ever meeting in person. We've talked a ton on the phone, so it's been awesome, you know, kind of just talking and hanging out here and, and just picking your brain. I always have a good time when we talk. So yeah, just want to say thank you. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you, Hunt. This has been great. And thank you for all the help you've 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 given me in my business. Doing profitability analysis work, making sure that the changes that I'm making are are working. It, you, you've really helped me through that stuff. And you helped me through a really rough time in COVID. Uh, the way I found you was through PPP. You did mm-hmm. that podcast or that YouTube video. And I was like, that's my man. <laughs> and I called you like that day and said, congratulations, you have a new client. <laughs> so thank you. Not a problem, man. So yeah, I just want to thank everyone for joining me. Um, this is another episode of Business by the Numbers. Again, if you have any questions, if you have any ideas, or if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please shoot us an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Uh, there's a link for that in the show notes as well. Until next time, great talking to you and have a safe and wonderful day. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.